The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let us pray. Father God, as we enter into another year, we ask that you may enlighten us, teach, equip, and comfort us through your word. We ask as we ponder your words through the Apostle John that we may walk in the light of your truth and may at length attain to the light of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Opening lines of literature tend to capture our attention. It's a pretty common phenomenon. You know, you consider, call me Ishmael, Melville and Moby Dick, or it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, you know, Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. You see it in pop culture and movies too. You know, you've got your, your one-liners a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You immediately know what story you're in right there. Or perhaps one of my favorites, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. It seems then that a good opening line has that crisp and cryptic quality to it. It tells you both something vitally important about the plot or a central character, but also hardly anything at all. There remains within it enough mystery to pique our curiosities, to step further into that call to adventure and learn more about this mysterious world that we just entered into. The Apostle John, our author, has been stewing over those three years when he walked with Jesus and is now able, as he nears the end of his long life, to describe him clearly, succinctly, and profoundly in our 18 verses. Interestingly though, rather than remain cryptic and elusive, John's opening line and prologue plunges us into the God who has revealed himself to us. 
And as we gather today, we are not only beginning a new year, but we come to the near end of this Christmas season as we prepare for Epiphany this week. We've spent this past month, as we do every December, awaiting the arrival of Christ during Advent, pondering the incarnation and the miraculous truths of Christmas, that God became one of us and will one day come again. We have spent this past month then reflecting on that God who has revealed himself to us, who has made himself known in his son as king, promise keeper, curse breaker, and redeemer of the world. We found ourselves then, however slightly, in a similar place as John, as he, inspired by the Spirit, picked up his pen to write his gospel, asking, how do I describe what I have seen? What are we supposed to do now after all these things? Throughout this prologue, John walks through four primary responses to this revelation, namely, stand in awe, receive his invitation, bear witness, and behold his glory. Stand in awe, receive his invitation, bear witness, and behold his glory. John's straightforward response and approach is one I believe we would do all well to consider. As we open page one of 2023, and you consider your own resolutions, what you wanna be true of this year, I hope the Apostle John's reflections serve as a sort of roadmap for you or indeed prologue for your year as we begin again in 2023. For it is only through reflection on Christ and his character that we might allow his character to shape our own and lead us into life to the full. If you haven't already, I hope you'll open up with me to page 886 in your red Bibles to John 1. If you can't find it, you know, we were at page one earlier, just add 885 pages and you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> These are some of the more remarkable verses of scripture as John stands in awe of God. He begins by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. A key word here and throughout the entirety of the prologue of John is that word, word. John uses the Greek word here, logos, which has a vast and complex meaning throughout the ancient world. In the Greek world, world the word logos just meant it expressed something that, that lies behind the rational ordering of the universe, some sort of mediating principle between God and man. Now, just for the record, that, that's a lot more of a definition of the word word than I think the word word means. But this, this sort of remains today our word logical comes from this Greek word. And we, we, when we say something is logical, we mean that it is in step with reason or how the world should naturally operate. But we remind ourselves that John himself was Jewish and that much of the first century Christians were Jewish. And our pe passage echoes those first words of Genesis. By John using the language of in the beginning, the reader would have automatically been reminded of Genesis 1 and the creation narrative where it was by the word of the Lord that the, wor the world came into being. 
And so to speak of God's word is to speak of God's will and power concerning cosmic and human history. The use of the word here is actually pretty brilliant on the part of John. No other word could have better articulated an entity that was both divine and yet distinct from the Father and connected to both a Jewish and a Greek audience who both could agree that the Logos, the word, is the divine starting point of all things. Now, time would fail me to describe to you all the fun theological and Trinitarian debates that a lot have discussed this over the past two millennia over this pivotal passage. You know, I'm just preaching this one Sunday, so I'll direct you to Jason at J underscore Palacio at HTC. It's for all those questions. Um, what I can say though is that John, like any good author, is building tension and clarifying mystery throughout this intro. He doesn't right off the bat tell us that Jesus is the word, but he builds throughout the passage, beginning with what is accepted thought for his audience and moving into the extraordinary. So he begins by saying, in the beginning was the word. We might imagine his audience saying, all right, cool. We're on the same page there. And he says, the word was with God. They would say, all right, I'm still with you. And the word was God. Audience, wait. So the word was somehow alongside God and also God himself. He moves on, doesn't clarify. Next time the word is mentioned, verse 14, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If this was a text message thread between the two, the audience would have sent an exploding brain emoji. <laughs> that mysterious essence standing between man and God, that word that created all things became like one of us. And yet the tension still builds in the passage as the name Jesus is only used once at the end of the passage as verse 17 tells us the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Consider how shocking this was to a first century Jewish community, well steeped in monotheism. Monotheism was like their thing. You can imagine them saying, wait, you're telling me that the son of Mary and Joseph, who lived just down the road, this Yeshua in Aramaic, this Jesus, or consider that, that Latin name translated into a more modern English name today, this Joshua over here, Josh over here, was at the beginning of all time, and it's through him that everything came to be. Exactly, says John, <laughs> but you've got to keep reading. What a hook, what an incredible hook. It's through Jesus, his eternal nature and his incarnation, and as John's gospel will continue to describe his death and resurrection that makes sense of all that there is. Such a miraculous truth, which has stood the test of time, is something that the darkness, of course, could not comprehend or overcome. John's introduction to his readers invites us to approach God with genuine shock and awe of how miraculous the truths of the gospel are only if we have eyes to see this life and light. As we begin 2023, we are tempted to say, ah, yes, you know, we did our Christmas thing. We sang our songs, we went to our services and we turned the page on a new year. And now it's time to get back to work and do it all over again. It seems John wants to invite us into a reality that says, think about that again. 
Think about that story again. Begin again. Think about what you say you believe, who Jesus really is, and the weight that that has on your life. Many of you have various demanding responsibilities, both in the workplace and at home. But in charting out this roadmap for your year, I'd challenge you to follow the example of John here, that before you get too far in your days, your weeks, and the year ahead, ask yourself how you might stand in awe of the God of all things. It may be indeed valuing your quiet time or reading a devotional. You know, for the kids in here, this is for you too. That little prayer in the car before school begins or memorizing that verse of scripture, that matters. For all of us, it may may mean simply pausing, breathing, praying the Lord's Prayer, those 15 seconds or so before you enter into the door at work. Remember who you are in comparison to this God and that somehow this day, absolutely everything you are experiencing from that coffee you make in the morning to that conversation over lunch, to going to school, parents, to picking your kids up from school, to that sunset in the evening, has the ability to help you see more of this God. John in the New Testament makes clear that this life and light, while incredibly complex, leads to two incredibly simple and straightforward responses, either to reject or to receive it leading us to our second point, that we receive his invitation. So we first stand in awe, then we move into receiving his invitation. So looking back at the text, skipping ahead to verse 10, John just says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John reminds his readers after a short little interlude on John the Baptist, who we'll come back to in a second, the magnitude of the identity of Jesus as the passage builds to emphasize how dramatic and seemingly ridiculous or literally illogical it is to reject him. It's almost as if, if you can imagine a few years ago, if, if Dean Smith were to walk into the Dean E. Smith Center a few years ago and someone were to not know who he was, or to my Duke family out there, if you can imagine old Krzyzewski taking a walk onto Coach K Court and he is stopped at the door by some security guard for trespassing, you can almost imagine either of them pointing up to the sign at the door or pointing to the floor itself and saying, you see that? That's me. <laughs> That's why I'm here. We'll take that feeling and multiply it times about infinity. That's kind of the point John is drawing out here, emphasizing that the world came to be through him. So look at the stars of the nighttime sky. Look below your feet to the ground, to that little flower growing. Look at the hands in front of your face. Look to your neighbor, to your fellow brothers and sisters around you. I sustain all of this by the word of my power. And whether it's biblical history or human history, one can't help but be confronted with the reality that humanity continues to reject this invitation. And our sin continues to impact us as we see violence, war, sickness, rising secularism, greed, racism, and sick ingenuity all over our world. The human heart continues to be desperately sick in need of healing and saving. 
And despite a world that has rejected him, it is not by any means beyond saving. Verse 12 provides that dramatic shift in the narrative. But despite the absurdity of this rejection, an offer still remains. An invitation of a lifetime lies on your doorstep. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an absolutely amazing statement. I, I know all scripture is inspired, but sometimes there's this certain text that just seem to jump off the page. And for me, this is one of them. By believing in him, that is by placing our faith, that is our trust, our confidence, our very allegiance, our very life itself in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, in place for our sins, God grants us the right to share in the relationship between that father, the father and the son. Thus the invitation of a lifetime is, is more than simply a get out of hell free card or even a, a security blanket for eternal life, but it is an invitation to share in divine life, which was, is now, and forever will be. What have you done with the Lord's invitation, with this option to reject or to receive? If you are here and you have not received or perhaps you have put up a front your whole life saying that you have, please hear, the invitation remains, the free gift of entering into God's family, not on the exhausting attempt to be good enough for God, but solely through the free gift of God's son extends to you. For those of you who have accepted this invitation, my plea to you as we begin again responding to God is to Accept that invitation of grace every day. Ask yourself, how do you remind yourself of this gospel of grace throughout the day? Do you have ways of comforting yourself with the forgiveness offered in Christ? Are you aware of your sin, confessing to God and to trusted others? Do you surround yourself by Christian community who you can do this alongside? Do you ultimately remind yourself that you are a child of, child of God before you are a mother, a student, a banker, or yes, a minister. Every day, we are beggars invited to a feast, offered life to the full, and given a chance to extend that invitation to others. Leading me briefly to my, my third point here, which is to bear witness, to bear witness. Interestingly, in this prologue about some of the more remarkable things in the universe, about the most remarkable person in the universe, Jesus himself, in 18 verses, John spends four of them, about almost 25% of it, discussing John the Baptist and his ministry. That's kind of interesting, right? We're told that John the Baptist was sent from God in verse six, but the key thing that distinguishes John in all his mentions throughout this passage is that he bears witness about Jesus. As that phrase describes his ministry in verse seven, verse eight, and again in verse 15. As we zoom out for a second and reflect on John the Baptist's example of witnessing throughout John's gospel, consider a few quotes. Number one here, John 1.20, just after the prologue, John the Baptist says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. A few chapters later, John 3, 30 through 31, John says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
I love this last example here. John the Baptist is something akin to a, a best man at a wedding whose job it is to hype up the groom whose happiness that day has nothing to do with himself but is totally focused on the groom's happiness. You know, also lately I've been watching a lot of college basketball and I seem to notice there's always about three or four guys on the bench, you know, who, who they never play, but it's, it's their purpose for being there is to hype up those guys on the court. That's something like what John the Baptist's ministry was like. The example of John the Baptist reminds us that in the course of history, those who bear witness to Christ, who deny themselves and bear their cross, who take the position of the best man, Jesus' hype man, those who decrease so that he might increase, are remembered and placed in honor before God. It also reminds us that despite what the world will tell you the second you walk out of these doors, that you are not the center of the story. You are not the Christ. And a life well lived that stands before God on that final day is not a life that looks back on all the things you've obtained or accomplished, but it's a life that points to Jesus before God and says, I'm here, God, because of him. I'm here because of him. Such is the response of someone who has indeed grasped this light that is breaking into the world and the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. As you turn the corner on 2023, ask yourself how this might be true of your priorities as you plan your days and weeks and the year ahead. A mentor of mine once asked, Trip, if all of your prayers were answered and goals accomplished, how many people would come to know Jesus? It was convicting because in that moment, I realized how I had become the center of my own story rather than turning outward and seeing others come to know Jesus. As you consider how you may bear witness to Jesus, ask yourself, how am I posturing myself to go out of my way to share Jesus with others who don't know him? Is there a neighbor you've yet to go out of your way to meet? Is there a, a gym that you could join to meet new people or an old friend that you could call? Middle schoolers and high schoolers, how might you bear witness to Christ in your classroom, growing in character, beginning to look different than the world around you? It could also look like asking, are there opportunities where I could step into someone's life, maybe a young believer, and mentor them and see Christ formed in them? As we do these things, stand in awe, receive his invitation, bear witness, we begin to behold his glory which is where John also concludes his prologue. Returning to the text, verse 14, John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Skipping to verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Here John's intro builds into a climax, into utter amazement. The agent of creation has now become a creature. He who brought everything into existence now dwells or takes up residence or moves into the neighborhood, literally tabernacles among us, meaning that the glory that once filled the tabernacle that glory that filled the temple has now come in Jesus. He 
This baby is now the place where we are able to seek God's presence. As Jesus will say in John 14, nine, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That which was before all time now becomes tangible, huggable, breakable, and yes, killable. And to take that one step further, we have seen it, we have beheld it, John says, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. The Greek word used here for that expression, only son, is used only two other times in John's gospel, most famously in John 3.16, to describe how much God loved the world, that he gave his only son. Specifically, that word means something being the only one of its kind in a unique and special relationship. You know, about a year ago, I met John Yates II, and I told him I was at Holy Trinity. When I told him I knew John, before I could finish my sentence, he said with a big smile, you know my boy, that's my boy. That instinctive gut reaction, that's my boy, may capture for some of us what this unique term is communicating. Similarly, when I married Allie, her father told me, I'm giving you the best gift that I have to give. This is something close to what God is saying in this passage. The thing that I love the absolute most, I am emptying myself of for you. Beholding the glory of God means stepping into that unfathomable love, a love that is full of grace and truth that continues to wash over us like waves on the ocean as from that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, wave after wave of unmerited, undeserved love from the Father in the Son who hangs on the cross crying, it is finished, your debt is paid, your victory, my victory has been won through me. And that's the strange paradox of beholding his glory the ultimate expression of God's glory did not ride into Jerusalem with an army behind him. The glory was not in overthrowing, overthrowing the Roman powers that be, but took place on that humble hill outside of Jerusalem. It's in his death, in light of his resurrection, that we behold the ultimate revelation of God's grace and truth. My closing word to you would be the same as John's. Throughout these next 364 days, you will inevitably wonder, where is God? Why would God allow this to happen? Why do I feel so alone? In response to all of this, my only word of comfort can be, look to the cross. Look to the cross, look to that place where divine love kept in the side, kept in the bosom of the Father, made himself known, emptied himself of for you. For it is in there, it is there where we see not only God's glory, but we find that grace and truth that the human heart so desperately needs. And we discover that in God's economy of, of being, there, there exists a love that gives us that thrill of hope that makes a weary world rejoice as far as the curse is found. As you begin again, I challenge you to take this roadmap of John and ask yourself how you might apply it to your schedules and your priorities as we step into today and the rest of the year. For something happens when we embody these daily, weekly, and yearly habits of standing in awe, receiving his invitation, 
bearing witness, beholding his glory. In doing so, we step out of this hamster wheel of consumerism and expressive individualism, and we discover a life more worth living in a world so much more wonderful and marvelous as we step into the narrative of grace and truth, the narrative of sharing in divine love, the narrative of glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word, that you were before all time and you have made yourself known. Lord, we pray as we take this charge to stand in awe, receive your invitation, bear witness and behold your glory that we may too begin to experience that glory, experience that glory, that glory, which despite of the sufferings and darkness of this world, plants a flag in the ground that bears witness to your glory and what you're doing in our lives. We love you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.